0: Kaylee, did you know that the Department of Defense currently operates more than 11,000 drones?
1: I wonder how many of them currently speak fluent droidish.
0: That sounds like a Star Wars concept. What, what, are, we, what are we talking about here when we talk about droidish?
1: So apparently the Pentagon is currently spending millions on creating a language for drones, and they've called it droidish.
0: What, what problem is this solving? Why, why, like why can't these, I guess they can't speak English or, or, or another, what problem does this solve for them? So
1: drones come from all sorts of different manufacturers and each of those manufacturers have created their own sort of code, uh, that you could imagine the drone speaks and it's, I come from the world of programming and coding, so it's kind of like the age-old problem of cross-compatibility, trying to get an iPhone app, for example, to work on an Android or you know, things like that. But to go with the Star Wars theme, they did say in uh, an article about this on Forbes that it's kind of like getting R2-D2 to talk to C-3PO in the same
0: language. (laughs) I do like how George Lucas saw this so many years ago by having C-3PO be a protocol droid who is fluent in however many million forms of communication. Like it was identified even then that this was going to eventually be a problem.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's a good way to look at it.
0: (laughs) So they've got like a VHS versus Betamax or like a a DVD (laughs) versus Laserdisc. I still remember – I think I've mentioned it because it was (laughs) – the only movie I remember watching on Laserdisc ever was uh, the original Blade Runner. And it was awesome. Like if you're going to pick one cool movie to watch, like that's a cool movie to watch on Laserdisc. And it, had, it was just so big and cool, and it was at a <laughs> at like a, a movie lab in college. Uh, and I, I kind of like that. I kind of wish, in a weird way, that that had won like <laughs> the, the, the giant laser discs. I think they each cost like three hundred dollars. So maybe it wasn't as really. It was that so
1: expensive. That,
0: it was a lot. You know, the, the university bought it for the library, and you had to go and watch it uh, in this in this room. Oh my room. gosh! But I, I guess they're gonna. The Pentagon is picking a winner, and they're picking. They're picking droidish. This article in Forbes, I think that we were that we were passing around, kind of describes it. And it was one of the funny things was everyone they interviewed tried to make it seem like, oh no, we're going to be we we first started designing this for agricultural uses, and then immediately poof, Department of Defense gets in and is like, I want this thing. Stop, you know, right. it's not going to be forestry. It's going to be combat. Exactly. And they're all tr- trying to justify it. Fair enough. Um,
1: Although they say the Air Force is one of the people in the department of the defense who's really working on this and which makes sense. Drones fly. Right. Um, (laughs) But they've been very careful to position this as a tool and not a weapon. Just ignore (laughs) the Jedi mind tricks. Yes, we're the military, but we're not going to use this for a weapon. Don't, don't even think that.
0: (laughs) There were some, look, I mean, there were some uh, applications that the some of the scientists interviewed for the Forbes article that that did make it seem like it could be a tool right like we do talk about the future of self-driving or autonomous vehicles mm-hmm. in civilian applications where you talk about even now we've got you know two long haul trucks that are communicating with each other to try to save fuel by operating independently you know riding closer to one another than they normally would and try to work out the fuel savings between them so i, I could see how other forms of autonomous communication um, could be benefited by by things like this, but like I mean, let's be straightforward, right? The Department of Defense wants this because the problems it's solving is battlefield problems.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, even even uh, I am looking at some of the quotes I pulled out, and e- even at one point in the article, it still refers to it as like. America wanting to be on the bleeding edge of next generation drone warfare. I mean, (laughs) you can't use the word warfare right after you've said, but it's it's a tool. It's (laughs) human-centered.
0: It's a tool. We've got all these hammers and they're tools, but it all depends on how you're you're using the hammers to smack each other in the face. At some point, it stops (laughs) being a tool. But look, the, the, the sort of twist is right at the end of the article one of the scientists I think is quoted to say, "Well, we've got to do this because China's 15 years ahead of us."
1: <laughs> right.
0: Like, All right. Well, fair enough. We should. Be, it sounds like we should be doing that. It sounds like yeah. this is actually pretty important to get these drones to talk to each other. If if China had it uh, a generation ago.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, we're a little bit behind, I would say, <laughs> in that about respect. Bur-
0: burying the lead there. Um, well. I'm your host Jack Clabby. Uh, I'm a cybersecurity at Carleton Fields, PA, and with me, as always, is Kaylee Melton. Kaylee is the vice president of U.S. remote publishing teams at No Before. After a short break, we'll chat with Jessica Gulick. Jessica is the founder and CEO of Catseye, the founder and commissioner of the U.S. Cyber Games, and a woman on a mission to make cybersecurity a thriving sport.
2: Welcome to No Password Required, a monthly conversation that introduces you to some of the top talent in the world of cybersecurity.
0: Our guest is Jessica Gulick. Jessica, welcome to No Password Required.
3: Thank you, Jack. It's an honor to be here.
0: All right, Jessica, you have so much going on in the world of cyber. Can you give just sort of a short breakdown for us of all the things that you're involved in?
3: absolutely so i am ceo and founder of cat's eye a marketing firm that supports cybersecurity businesses i am an active board member for the cyber jitsu a 501c3 committed to advancing women in cyber i also sit on a couple of education advisory boards for baypath university as well as virginia tech's bit program uh committee and the raesis education advisory board which is a 501c3 focused on bringing more Latinos and Hispanics into cybersecurity.
0: Oh, wow. I mean, is there a typical day for you or are you doing all things for all people?
3: (laughs) The days uh, stay busy, uh, but uh, it is a very busy October cybersecurity month, I will say that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do do the teaching responsibilities come and go? How does that work into, into your active businesses and nonprofits?
3: Um, it's not so much teaching. It's just sitting on boards and advising. And okay. um, they do come and go de- depending on um, the focus for that year and, and what we're trying to to do. A lot of times with the education and the affinity groups that I work with, um, we're all doing similar things. Uh, so it's um, advantageous to, to be on the boards to help bring best practices from one to the other and, and share those.
0: For the cybersecurity marketing work that you do, could you describe for us like, What's a great client for you? What kind of company would you be helping and what kind of work would you be doing to help them? So a
3: great client in the cybersecurity marketing world is someone who, um, one, is ready to grow, right? They're passionate about growth. We don't do so well if you're just trying to um, do marketing for the sake of doing marketing. Um, I really like to help firms that um, are dedicated to growth. They're in a really cool area of cybersecurity that they're passionate about, And they have the money and the respect for the role that marketing plays. Um, Oftentimes, uh, what we see is that sometimes they try to bring us in too early. So one of the qualifications I like to talk through with clients is, do you have a sales team first? And then have marketing come in to help sales and help with growth. And that usually works out uh, best.
1: Have you actually encountered uh, organizations that don't have sales of any kind? Oh, yes. Often. Wow. Oftentimes.
3: Um, I've also encountered um, IT firms that have decided to get into cybersecurity that have nobody on the staff that understands cybersecurity. (laughs) So one of the best advice that was given to me um, when I was starting uh, Cat's Eye was from a client. And I remember the call very well. And uh, he said, you know, Jess, um, the number one thing is choosing the right clients when you're first starting out because the wrong client can either you know, um, create so much havoc for your team and the team dynamics, it could overrun your business and close it down immediately. So be very careful on how you choose your clients when you're first starting out. I thought it was great advice.
1: Yeah, that definitely resonates. I'd never heard anyone say that before, but yeah. So obviously you're an entrepreneur, you have so your hands in so many different wonderful pots. Uh, If Jack and I were to come to you separately and ask you for entrepreneurial advice, what sort of advice would you give each of us?
3: There's so much to give. I think if I was talking to Jack, I'd probably focus mostly on um, having a big vision, but taking small steps. I I learned often and early, that I had this impression of what does a business and and running a business look like uh, from a brick and mortar and let's put the sign up, let's buy all the tables and the laptops and everything. And so I felt I needed to, to play that role. And in today's market, starting a business starts with a big vision, but breaking it down into small steps that you can actively test and monitor and then grow from there um, so that you're progressively growing at a pace that your pocketbook and your and the amount of time you plan on dedicating to it, it fits. Um, I think, Kaylee, if I were talking to you, I, I'd change it up a bit. Uh, I work with a lot of women in cybersecurity. And so it's funny, our definition of success as women tends to be different. Um, it just is. And so I would say success is not so much about focusing on perfection. It's about focusing on perseverance. And that's kind of the key thing. And and once you fully accept that, then you understand it's okay to fail, right? It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to not to be perfectly ready for an event. Um, You do your best and sometimes you're going to miss and even missing or doing a mistake teaches you and that makes you stronger and stronger. And the whole thing about being an entrepreneur is it's a journey, right? And so the steps that you take, the mistakes that you make are actually making you stronger and building the company to be stronger. And I don't think as women, we think about that perspective as our careers, because I remember looking back, I was always told, you know, walk straight, shoulders back, um, play to win. If you can't win, don't play the game, you know, that kind of mentality of, Um, all the way to makeup, right? Make sure your, your eyeliner's on right. Um, that you've got your heels There's certain things to wear. There's all these perfection things. And when I was raising my son, I realized with him, it was always about, I wasn't focused on that. I was teaching him, just get in there and figure it out and persevere. Just keep at it. You're going to fail. Just keep going, you know, go hang out with the people that are smarter than you that are more athletic, go compete with them because you'll get stronger. I don't know why we do that as a society, but we do. So I think when I talk to women, I I change it up a bit.
0: Looking back on sort of your own journey, Jessica, you know, is there any advice you would give to your younger self, things you would have done differently or or stuff you would have wished that you knew back then that you know now?
3: Absolutely. Um, So another mentoring moment learned the hard way. Uh, It was with a client. The client happened to be a friend, somebody who I'd worked with previously in previous careers and, um, one of my first clients and I was helping him and his team and he ended the contract with me. And during the, um, you know, I, I asked him why, you know, what could I have done differently? He said, you're way too nice. <laughs> and, and I'm like, way too nice. And now, okay. My background, right. I'd just been from consulting years where, you know, clients always write, you know, that kind of background. Yeah. He's like, I needed you to be stronger. I was hiring you for your candor. I was, because I know you as an individual, Jessica, <laughs> you're going to tell me the way it is. And that makes me stronger, but you're way too nice. You know, you weren't pushing on me to hit deadlines. You weren't, you weren't bringing me the value of truth that I need, um, from your business. And it was like ice cold at that moment. Cause I, I had been be, trying to be great customer service. Right. And that's not what this world is looking for us. We, we expect that, don't get me wrong, at restaurants, but when we're buying <laughs> consulting, right, and marketing, we want, we want truth. And, and I think that's what a lot of entrepreneurs and CEOs look for, those people they can trust uh, to speak the truth to them so they can decide. And so that was a big lesson to me. And so since then, I've been mean to clients every day. So it's great. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> there is a balance.
0: <laughs> but that's a great book because it goes back to your point about client discernment too. Because yeah. if, if a client wants to work with you and just to execute something they've come up with and they don't want any feedback or measurement or yeah. right, testing or monitoring, that's a different kind of client than a client who comes to you and is like, I want your expertise. I have my own ideas. But if I'm wrong... Tell me, tell, tell me why I'm wrong, of course. But, you know, it's like that, that really is true. It's like the first kind of client is just hiring you to, to execute their vision. Then the other one is actually hiring you for your professional expertise. Exactly. Oh man. All right. So we, we have to talk about the U.S. cyber games. So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about them. What are the short-term goals? What are the long-term goals? Because uh, it's just fascinating.
3: Okay. Excellent. We are in season three actually. Uh, And so um, this is our third year of the program. We started this three years ago uh, when the international community out of the EU, the European Union, came to the United States through NIST and said, hey, can you guys put together a U.S. team? And um, we worked on a grant with NICE to put together a program. And um, the program is very different than what you've seen before. So if you're familiar with the National Cyber League or you're familiar with Cyber Patriot, or CCDC, or even your local capture the flag kind of game. We're not a game. Okay. We're a sports program. We're a traveling esports team that competes internationally on behalf of the United States, ages up to 25. And so for a program, what we did was we took the best practices in athletics and esports and blended it with cybersecurity to come up with the U.S. Cyber Games. What that means is we have tryouts, we have a combine, which is like the evaluation of skills, and we have a uh, draft day, we have training camps, and we have competitions and scrimmages. Um, so it's very athletic, and th- that's purposeful. It's purposeful because um, years and years of practice, it's a honed best practice. You see it at every college. Um, it's also very inclusive. The cybersecurity market has been a black box, if you will, to many individuals that are just getting in or are on the yeah. peripheral of the community. By talking in sports terms, our moms, our grandmas, our neighbors, um, everybody understands sport terms like special teams, offense, defense, a captain. And once <laughs> we can start that conversation with them, then we can teach up. Uh, to borrow a term from Jason Street, we can we can teach up some of the more sophisticated concepts of a purple team, a red team, a blue team. Then we can go further. We can start talking about this is what an attack looks like. So through gaming, we can actually start to bring cybersecurity to the kitchen table. But let's go back to the program. We're all about creating the U.S. team again, ages up to 25. That's not us. That has to do with the league. And it's purposeful because the age of 25 is right at that point where you're semi-pro, right? So you're not a professional security person, but you're more than just a college student. Does that make sense? You're semi-pro. And so rather than defining it, we just took an age because it's just easier. And you see that in sports as well. We do want you to be a U.S. citizen because you're representing the United States. So then we okay. don't get into the weirdness of, okay, this person lives in the U.S. but is on the Asian team or on the Africa team, you know, kind of thing. Um, yeah. And so we have this program, and we're leveraging it not just to connect with the top talent uh, throughout the United States, but also open up to the fandom and the spectator. And that's where the esports comes into it. An esport is an online team. That plays a similar, like, sport to a spectator audience, and so our fandom is just as important. Oh, wow. And we do all this with the idea of building those cyber skills towards a cyber career and jobs. And we do that okay. with Nice and their cybersecurity workforce framework.
0: That's cool. What what are these? What are the U.S. cyber games tryouts look like? Is it is it online? Are there spectators? Like, how does this setup work?
3: So it is online. Um, We started in May and it's a online for today. It's an online open CTF. Um, So in terms of trying out, if you will, or walking on, we try to open it up and say, hey, we're going to put on this um, capture the flag Jeopardy style uh, game where you have two weeks because we know it's during the beginning of summer and there's graduations and a lot of things going on. Tap in and, and show us what you can do. We also ask for an application. So we ask, you know, where have you played before? What was your role? You know, all the kinds of key elements that we need. Um, We ask for things like the NCL report, which is an individual players report that you get if you're playing in the National Cyber League, um, which is fantastic if you haven't looked at it. Uh, But, you know, we try to take all this information. And then what we determine is we say who's going to come to the invitational. So in football and baseball, there's something called the Combine right? And the combine is evaluation of skill sets. And even if you're not familiar with that, most people are familiar with how fast can this football player run the 40-yard dash, right? We see that on the news and such during um, seasonal um, shows. So that's our version of the combine. It's about 48 weeks and we're evaluating not just the skill set, but the teamwork, the leadership. How do you deal with stress? How do you deal with, we're going to change things up on you, right? How professional are you? The maturity. We do interviews. We're taking data and the coaches are observing um, okay. these athletes as they're taking on problems or working as teams. And we um, usually focus week by week. We'll have a topic. We spend the various different talk- topics as well as red, red versus blue or attack and defense. Okay. Um, and then We go to a coaches summit and the coaches summit, which is my favorite thing, but it's behind closed doors, Jack. (laughs) It is not streamed, but it is the most fun. Um, we had that this year at the hack factory. Thank you, Matt DeVost and Bob Gorley. Um, they hosted us and we were able to, we go through all the data. There's tons of data that we go through on these athletes and we're, how did they do this? How, you know, how did they do before versus after, um, what were some of the notes written by the various different observers and coaches, Um, We bring up the interviews whenever it's down to the bottom 10. And we're like, what is it that they're showing that's different about them um, during that? So that's a fun time. And then uh, we go to draft day, which is coming up on October (laughs) 16th, where we'll do it NFL style. Right. And then, you know, from there, we'll break it out. Now we do 30 individuals make the team, but only 15 are on the first string plus two substitutes. That means roughly 17 people travel. Um, to the final championship. Uh, So you have to stay engaged the whole time, right? You can't just, you know, uh, be selected and assume you're on and you're going to travel. And then the other thing is what we do is a pipeline program because our community does not have enough diversity in it. Uh, So if you're in the pipeline program, that means you were not selected for the team, but we want to work with you. So you train with the team, but you don't travel. Um, And there's various different elements that we try to offer to the pipeline to get them ready for the next season. And that's because if you think about it, we can bring on 17s to 25. That's a long window. Um, And we see such wonderful talent at 17 and 18. So it's great to work with them.
1: What is the shortest amount of time it's ever taken you to totally know this person needs to be on the team?
3: I would say probably less than five minutes. It's hard (laughs) (laughs) um I, <laughs> wow and i'm gauging it uh based on well the the caliber of folks that we have available to us uh because of all the other programs happening is is tremendous and every year it gets even harder um i was for the what i normally see that happens is let's say i'm at an exhibit at a conference or i'm visiting a school um what we see is This individual will come up to us, they'll introduce, they'll shake hands, and they'll tell us about their history, and they are incredibly curious about the program. They're excited. They want to travel internationally. They want to be part of a sport team, right? I mean, up until now, until really esports a few years ago, um, sports has always been more athletic, if you will, physicality-wise, and there's been a barrier, if you will. Uh, But now we're opening that up. And so they get to be part of something bigger than themselves and a unique experience. And that comes across when they're talking to me. They typically uh, tell us, you know, where they're strong in and we'll talk about what um, experience they have. But you just kind of know um, when you meet that individual because it's not just about their skills. It really is they glow I know, I know it sounds weird, but it's like when somebody talks about something they love, their eyes glow, right? They kind of glow when they talk to you and they could go on for hours and you're like, really, dude, I've got like five minutes. I need to be on. <laughs> you know? But they they just glow and, and they, they're just really excited and they're ready to learn. Um, And that is uh, a big indicator, something that you can pick up very quickly. Others are quiet. I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of introverts. Um, we see a lot of neurodiversity. We see a lot of um, folks that are brilliant and quiet. And so we try to look at other factors as well to make it as inclusive and open as possible. Um, and so it's it's not always that dramatic in five minutes. Uh, but I would say some of the coaches could probably decide if they looked at some of the NCL reports and results of other games within five minutes, they would be like, this is definitely a candidate. Um, they tend to uh, because we're looking for top talent.
0: Jessica, what is, uh, you mentioned earlier that you're looking for leadership quality. What does leadership look like on a team like this?
3: That's a great question. Um, I wish I had a definitive answer to you. The reality is that leadership works best in a situational environment. And so I've seen a little, a few different roles, if you will. I've seen a successful team leader, somebody who does the work is one of the experts, and then coordinates and directs. And that can work on a high-caliber team, right, where everybody is communicating. Um, I've also seen, uh, like, a cyber patriot team where the captain is standing up, no hands on keyboard, and delegating and triaging and informing and supporting, and that can work as well. It really depends um, on the leadership strength Um, You know, what they say is what leaning forward, I think it is, and on your strengths on leadership um, and the culture of the team. And that can take some time to get used to when you have a new team. But I've seen both of um, those leadership formats
0: work. Wow. I think it'd be something incredible for a leader who came up doing this and then suddenly taking a role where their, you know, her fingers are not on the keyboard it seems pretty incredible to say, okay, this time I'm not going to be – I don't even have a rig. Right, That's wild.
3: Typically, wow. they do have a rig, though. Um, okay. So they, they are in keyboards, but maybe it's not like they're not assigned a specific okay. problem setter. They have more flexibility, if you will. We saw that actually with one of the other teams that we competed with, um, the captain. She did a fabulous job of exactly that. Walking around, encouraging, focusing in. And the funny part about that, Jack, is that if you think about a cyber pen test team, a high performing cyber pen test team, yeah. when they go in and they actually are on site doing the testing, they're not all keyboards on keyboards at the same time. They're yeah. actually one person on a keyboard at a time. Everybody yeah. else is crowded behind them because they're doing that best athlete who has the best skill to get to the next step because there's no room for screw up, right? They've got to get it right the first time. So we see that in the sport and that's what I love about this is that what we can start to watch these brilliant um, young cyber athletes do, we can start to replicate into the workforce. And if I have one criticism about the cyber community is that it's too siloed siloed. Yeah. Um, we need more teams. We need more high performing teams. Yeah. And I think sports will help that.
0: That's a great book. Cause it goes back to a couple of things you said earlier too, about when you're, when you're that idea of the glow, when someone's talking about something they love, like I can't tell you, you know, if I'm working with a client who's hired a, a company to do a cyber assessment, you're talking to the, to the vendor who's getting ready to do this. And, you know, they're talking about, gap assessments, looking at controls, interviews, then they get to the part about pen testing and suddenly they just want to talk about pen testing for the rest of the meeting because clearly this person was a pen tester who got pulled into a role that maybe they don't want to do anymore or it's like, can we do pen testing? Let's talk about that for the rest of the meeting. But it's, it's funny, it's like that, that idea of yes, that's one component of it, we're going to do the pen test, but like got to talk about the rest of this stuff too. But it's funny, it's like thinking about um, Something that does, I, that's got to be an interesting, you could help those companies, I think, from your marketing perspective saying, hey, tone it down on the pen testing stuff. We know you love it. You're going to get to do it, but sell the other stuff too.
3: Absolutely. I would also um, <laughs> offer in that when we watch these cyber teams operate, um, what we're seeing that's different is virtual leadership. It's, it's interesting to think about it because of the yeah. pandemic, we all went home right? And so managing by walking around wasn't a thing. But these esport teams and these cyber teams because they've always been virtual, they know how to communicate virtually and they know how to operate as a team virtually. And and so none of that has to be learned. They kind of know it, um, which is something that I think, again, we can bring it back to the workforce and and say, wow, what are the tricks? I mean, look at, um, we're all using Slack now or Discord. And you see this a lot on security operation teams where they're using Slack or, or Discord it's no longer email communications, yeah. right. Or they've got the earphones yeah. on and they're, they've got an open audio channel going on all day long. <laughs> you know, there's, <laughs> there's just so much going on. Um, and they're used to dealing with that and making, uh, you know, being situationally aware and making decisions and working in that environment, which is very different than, you know, the older ones um, out in the community like myself. So,
0: <laughs> But that's incredible. I mean, you think about virtual socks, any number of things that have been happening for four years. We've got a partner to the show who operates a sock and bought a brand new facility right before COVID. And suddenly that brand new facility, no one was sitting in seats and people were just a diffuse network. So the thing that you had hired these managers for, their skill of dealing with people live in an environment like that suddenly wasn't relevant anymore. And mm-hmm. a, new, a new group of leaders had to emerge. And Jessica, what you're talking about is probably these virtual leaders that are coming out of the program, out of the sport that you're working in, that's the generation. I mean, that's the people who are going to be leading these virtual socks and these other virtual – these virtual teams that are doing real hands-on, you know, client-facing work or national security that? work.
1: Um, I wanted to ask. We've touched kind of – around it, but I wanted to ask more directly, what's the greatest stigma in your opinion that the esport has had to overcome?
3: Um I would say it's cyber as an esport or cyber games in general, they're perceived to be only for academia, right? Only for students. And because of that it's very difficult to demonstrate value and get the attention of recruiters and hiring managers and realizing that um, not only can cyber esports and games be an excellent way to train right to advance your skill level you can watch it and learn learn from others which is ideal and you can also quantify your skills. Um, So only recently, in the last six months, do I talk to security managers on on various calls, and they're like, so I can put cyber games into the performance review of my SOC analyst? Absolutely. Have them play the games and then report back to you how they did, and then how did they progress? Um, But there's been this stigma that the Um, Capture the Flag and Red versus Blue is only for college students. And that makes it incredibly difficult to raise funds from a sponsorship angle uh, because sponsors and and marketing folks are all looking for leads and prospects. And you just must be only students and they're not buyers, right? And the reality is that today's cyber esports and games are for all ages. And it makes sense if you look at it from an operational standpoint, because if you're dedicated to one client, or One company as a security expert, you're only seeing that single environment wow. day in and day out. There's not enough change. Whereas, if you're part of a pen test consulting firm that does third party reviews, etc., you could see everybody's environment. You're constantly sharpening your skills. The only way that uh, dedicated in source teams can really stay sharp is through gaming now and certifications. And so um, trying to to change people's mind that this is not just about college students, this is about your workforce is has been difficult and something that we continue to to try to find the the right
1: mix of message, if you will, out to that audience. So yeah, I'm happy to hear you say that because I'm into gaming myself, both personally but also educationally through training, um, and they're really powerful tools that are kind of unmatched out there in the world of education, in my opinion.
3: I agree. It's very immersive and that um, we have heard uh, firsthand from cyber athletes in the program state, they have learned more about web security in two weeks than they have in two years.
1: Wow! And
3: so you're like, really? And then you think about it and you're like, wait a minute, when we try to do something different as a human being right when we try to lose weight or get on a better routine it always helps to work with other people right that teamwork aspect to have that that peer with that that buddy system if you will and games provide that and um it's funny when i'm talking to a a large audience i typically open to kind of get their mindset and i'll say something to the degree of how did you learn how how did you learn how to play mario And you get the snarky, you can see the grins, right? Even here. How did you learn? I don't know about you. I stole the remote from my brother. I was just like, (laughs) give me that. I want to try. Right. And I don't know how many times I had to restart and kill Mario again and again, (laughs) you know, before I kind of figured it out. And um, wouldn't it be great if cybersecurity was like that?
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. That's a really, really, that's a powerful question. How did you learn to play Mario? Cause everyone has a different path to getting there. It's Mm -hmm. universal. It's like a combination of gossip, playing and failing, right? Reading things about it. Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah, that's a great thought exercise to, to go through. One question we do want to ask you is I think you've previously mentioned that an all woman team is coming soon. Mm -hmm. You know, how does something like that happen uh, get put together?
3: I wish there was magic sauce. Um, okay. it, it it starts with a vision, and um, then it it next step is declaration, right? Uh, and then we okay. put together the program and go out and and uh, create the tryouts and etc. Um, here is my answer to the gender um, imbalance, if you will, in cybersecurity, and it's a global issue. It's not just the United States, and and think about that for a minute because it's easy to take that for granted. It's not a cultural nation, you know, U.S. thing. This is an issue across the globe. And so I, I talk to many folks from around the world where they're like, hey, Jess, how do we get more women in cyber and more women playing cyber games? It's difficult. You hear all kinds of answers from all kinds of folks on, well, you've got to have good role models and you got to have, you know, pathways. Except all that is true. What we haven't yet done is put together an all-women's team, and eventually teams, right, and show how women can do this. And so that's kind of what I'm hoping to do in 2024. Um, We have our wickedsticks.com program, which is 24-hour hack and chat for women across the globe, all on cyber. They get to put hands on games, et cetera. And it's been a tremendous success over the last few years with 1,500 women registering last year. Wow. What we're doing now is we're going to offer the tournament piece, right, where they're going to play on Hack the Box platform, and we're going to have an all-women's team tournament. And these are teams from globally, you know, from every walk of life in cybersecurity. And we're really honing in on women that have strong cybersecurity skills in, in Linux, in penetration testing, incident response, security operations, and teaching them games, Right? Yes. That's the part we're bringing to them so they can have that lifelong learning capability with them and they get to network with others while they do it, which is a tremendous value uh, for our community. So we'll do that in March, and then we're going to announce the U.S cyber women's team. And what we're doing differently is if, you know earlier I mentioned the U.S cyber team is up to the age of 25. Okay. They compete internationally with other teams that are up to the age of 25. But for the women's team, we're gonna go 25 and older. So we'll actually be our first adult team, if you will, older than 25. And the reason for that is I want high caliber, advanced skilled women to be on this US all women's team. And they will be um, leading by example in the field to help pull more girls and women into your cybersecurity gaming. And so um, we'll leverage them to compete. They'll help with coaching, and I'm hoping that that's a different tactic that we as a nation and a world haven't tried yet. Um, so I don't know if it'll succeed in helping, you know, with uh, bringing more women to cyber, but I bet it probably will. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. How, how are the other countries doing? Are, are there teams that are ready to play us when oh, yes. the U.S. cyber team gets there? Okay. That's
3: oh awesome. yes, yes. Uh, some of the teams, like the European teams, have been going for 11 years right where they had the european and we're getting ready to take a, our team to norway to be the guest team in their european finals um wow. which is going to be a lot of fun so some of these teams have been going for a long time others have just started um this is such a wonderful event uh because not only again on the cyber skills jack but you mentioned it earlier around remember the virtual teaming and leadership yeah the cyber athletes that participate in this program globally get to meet each other and network for a week when we do the championship. Oh. And they do because they're in for multiple years, they see each other again and again, right? Yes. And they then get connected on Discord. This means that somewhere 10 years from now, one of these athletes will be in a career in a, um, a war room, if you will, or somewhere important. And somebody's going to say, Who knows somebody who does this over? across the globe, and they're going to have a powerful network of people that they can pull on. And as you probably know, that is incredibly valuable as a career person is knowing who you can call for help, right? And so they're cultivating these networks of peers that are just as smart and brilliant in cyber, and thus will be leaders in their own, you know, industries and nations that they'll have connections with that will help all, you know, down the road.
0: Shared language, shared terms, right? Memories together. I, that's so powerful and important. I mean, that, that, what a value that that uh, gets from the athletes who are participating on both sides. What, how are the women's teams developing in the other countries? Are they going to come? Are they already there or will they develop at the same time that the U.S. team comes?
3: Uh, um, I believe that when we announce that we're going to put, be putting together a team, that other countries will do the same thing. Got it. Um, Because it's once you think about it and you know about it, you're like, but of course, right? Um, We want to get part of that action uh, because it will hopefully help their communities grow more, you know, uh, get more uh, women interested in cyber games as well. So part of it is announcing early and then training. So it might be, you know, a few months before we actually have the first game. Um, But uh, there's a lot of collaboration Across the globe right now in cyber games, I mean, we have two women. Um, thank you, Terra Data and Cyber Jitsu for being sponsors that we're going to be taking to Norway just to attend the European um, Cyber Camp for Women, and uh, we—that's um, the first time we're doing cross-country training together, right? Wow. Um, which is amazing. So when you look at like the National Security Implementation Plan that talked about workforce and international. Um, relationships, we're doing this with games in such a soft but powerful way um, that will help bring the nations together.
0: Wow! Right. That's the Olympic movement in a a lot of ways of it. I mean, that's the whole point, right? We're going to get together peacefully so we can collaborate and have dialogue and avoid misunderstandings and know each other as people and not as objects on a map. What a, a brilliant thing to be doing. Can can we ask you, if outside organizations that are listening to this, if they want to, you know, get involved, you know, what's a way that they can get involved, Jessica?
3: Um, Absolutely. Go to uscybergames.com. And check out the website. We are looking for tech mentors in various areas such as cryptography, uh, reverse engineering, binary uh, exploitation, red versus blue. Uh, We're looking for training opportunities for our athletes. We're looking for equipment, um, travel help. Uh, It's very costly to travel. Um, You know, it takes a lot to to run a sport team. And so we could use a lot of help. Um, Obviously sponsorships but even at a minimum, just spreading the word. Opportunities like today, thank you very much, just to talk about the program and get it out there so people understand that there is an opportunity for them to watch or champion, be a fan. Um, Somehow support is um, incredibly helpful and appreciated. Thank you.
0: Well, we're going to take a short break now. And when we return, we'll have our lifestyle polygraph. So please stay with us.
2: You're listening to the No Password Required Podcast. We cover cybersecurity and a lot of other stuff.
1: Welcome back. As many of you know, the Lifestyle Polygraph is a test used by the federal government to determine if a person is worthy of learning some of our nation's most important secrets— Here, we use this technique for slightly lower stakes to determine whether our guests can join our fantasy cybersecurity squad. Jessica, are you ready for the Lifestyle Polygraph? Yes. Awesome. First question. You've said that the value of mentoring is not in the count, it's in the moments. Can you share a couple of your most meaningful mentoring moments?
3: Oh, that's hard. Um, mentoring <laughs> moments. I think I shared one earlier. Let me think of another. Uh, I, I still go back to that, not not being too nice, right? <laughs> when he said, don't be too nice, be truthful. That was a huge moment for me. Um, I think it was another mentoring moment when I was really upset about a failure and somebody uh, talked to me about baseball stats and I'm um, kind of you know you're you're batting at 100 percent or you're batting at 50% and you know realizing that it's okay to fail, that kind of opened me up.
0: Jessica, what do you say to somebody who like tries out you know gets reasonably far um, but it, it tries to be a part of the. US cyber games Maybe it's the first person out at the at the proper tryout, right? What do you say to that person to get them to keep them engaged?
3: Oftentimes, it's they still have years to play, right? So oh, okay. to follow us, there's ways for those athletes to stay engaged um, and keep trying, and it gives them something to work towards. And I think that's incredibly
1: important. That's a great point. So, question number two: Why do you consider your son to be your most unique mentor? Oh,
3: everybody always looks at me weird when I say that my son, who's today 19. But when I first said it, he was seventh grade. Um, I want to say, and this was when I first started Cat's Eye, and I was an entrepreneur in like the first 30, 60 days. And I was watching this little boy, right, who's thin compared to all the others there playing football. I mean, the idiot volunteered to be nose guard for a practice. <laughs> and... I'm like, as the mom, you know, usually a tough mom and tough love, but I'm like, the tears are just running down the face, watching my son get pummeled again and again and again. And I had just gone through a hellacious year, um, losing my mother, losing my job, starting a business. And it just hit me in that moment that, you know what? He's just persevering. It's okay. I can take a moment and then you can go back. He says the weirdest things at the, at the perfect time where he's like, mom, it's really going to be okay. Right. Or journal, or he brings this stuff from other walks of life that he's learned or heard. And he brings it to me whenever I have an issue and shares it. The boy is just amazing. And I, I think my point there is that we can be mentored by anybody. It doesn't have to be somebody more successful than
1: us. Okay. Oh, Wow. That's such a beautiful concept. Thank you for sharing that.
3: Thank you. Just don't
1: tell him. Oh, I wouldn't. (laughs) I would never. I would never. (laughs) All right. Number three, your cybersecurity career has a bit of a theme song. What is it and how do you implement it into your daily life?
3: I, I, I'm a big Bon Jovi fan, so I'm going to have to go with my ringtone, which is Wanted Dead or Alive. And I, I know that's that's crazy, but it's um, to me, it's not about money. Uh, success isn't about money. It's about impact. And you've got to be brave and, and take the shot. I, I don't want regrets later in life, you know, when you're sitting on your sickbed, you know, about to die to look back and say, I didn't try hard enough. I should have gone after my goals or dreams. Um, so uh, probably any song about Bon Jovi, but One in Dead or Alive is a pretty good one. Um, <laughs> uh, <yeah.
0: laughs> Jessica, I grew up in Monmouth County, New Jersey, which is where... Bon Jovi was at least near where he was living I think he lived in Freehold maybe when I was a kid growing up. But he was um, – people would always talk about Bruce Springsteen and that's true as being New Jersey. But Bon Jovi is as much New Jersey as Bruce Springsteen is and he doesn't get enough – the, the group obviously. But him in particular, they don't get enough credit as being a proper New Jersey. Yeah, but yeah, Dead or Alive is great and and yeah, I those, those – the Slippery When Wet album, the whole album. Absolutely. Absolutely excellent. Excellent work. That's great, and that is the ringtone. Is it the guitar part? It should be, but it isn't. No, it's actually okay. the. I think
3: it's the chorus, but still.
0: That's awesome. All right. Well, that yeah. I think I think we could probably stop here, Kelly. That qualifies Jessica for the cyber team on Bon Jovi references alone.
1: Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. This is, right. this is why I do the the polygraph and not Jack. Okay. <laughs> um okay so number four which team in any domain or field would you most want to be part of
3: oh that's a hard question <laughs> yeah uh I'm. my family is my team um and I am part of it and I love my family yeah. and I love being part of that team um as well as the cat's eye team um I love team sports, so it's just being on a team uh, that is uh, where I want to be. And I love basketball, so loving your passes is something I say often to my team. Um, and, uh, I, I, yes, any team is good, but I'll take my home
1: team first. That's great. I love that.
0: I wish there were more opportunities for, like, family feud-style things in real life where families <laughs> compete against other families. <laughs> Because like there's like if my family is alone for a long period of time we fight with each other, but if we're put in an environment where there are other families around, you know like we have a common enemy maybe at some point it kind of brings us together. I almost wish like that there was just a more like it was just a normal thing for a family to just. Casually challenge another family to like a game night, but it was competitive between the family. So
3: I, I don't when know, you do- might not like my family. We actually do the fighting in, inside, and we love it. We <laughs> do. I mean, I mean it, it's funny, but it's true. It's like whether it's arguments or when they were younger wrestling or whatever. It's, yeah, they they just love the safety of a family to <laughs> to get the energies out, if you will, and to I love it. Um, when we play games at home, it's highly competitive. In fact, you better
0: know that rule book because they are going to yes. try to skirt it. <laughs> we have a game of uh, – uh, what's the railroad? The board game, it's the railroad uh, ticket to ride. We've had it open for about a week currently being played back and forth, and it's between the family members at this point. We're all sort of – every aspect of family life is now oriented around that that particular board game we're currently playing. <laughs> so it's a lot of nastiness. We've got – the big thing is we've got the um, – my in-laws do a uh, flag football game between all the family members from the eldest to the smallest. And the smallest have to be held. Everyone has to play. And it's, not, it's one hour of playing, right? Two 20, 25 minute halves. And then it's preceded by 90 minutes of picking the teams. So all the fighting gets mostly out in the 90 minutes where we pick the teams. So about the time the game starts, everyone's exhausted of fighting. So-
3: <laughs> Jack, your
0: jersey's showing. It's true. It's true, right? <laughs> That's not a normal thing. Families don't do that everywhere. Families <laughs> no. don't maybe parts of Long Island also would be counted for that. It's parts of New Jersey and Long Island. I bet there's people in Texas right now who are who, who are doing that, but maybe just those places.
3: Now they've been tailgating with barbecue. <laughs> it's, true. it's
0: true. They do competitive barbecue. That's their sport, right? They do, they do tailgate they do. barbecue.
3: Being a Texan, yep, they do. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. So final question. You have a passion for history and architecture. What is the place you've visited that showcases those aspects the most? Oh, I love Edinburgh. Hmm. I do love Edinburgh. Um, You
3: get the castles, you get the museums, the walk. One of my favorite books has always been Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So you can go there and have the restaurant. Um, I would say Edinburgh has been uh, just the history of it. I was a big, you know, just for Jack's sake, I was a big Highlander fan back in those oh, days. Yes. Oh, yes. Right to hear too- that's coming back. <laughs> um, but I, I do like the middle, medieval period and the castles and, and things like that. So, uh, Edinburgh.
0: That's the one where Sean Connery plays the Spaniard, I believe is his title, and he's just speaking <laughs> in a Scottish, <laughs> in a Scottish brogue the whole time. It's just, they might explain it at some point why. The Spaniard, Probably the character not. called the Spaniard, is playing. I might have that wrong. I, you know what? I think that deserves a watch tonight because I don't want to get my references wrong. But that's a tremendous. That's the the, one of the best movie soundtracks. Oh, <laughs> and then it kind of just goes off the rail. There's like seven other ones that follow it, right? Just the just amazing diminishing returns. But, <laughs> totally. but oh boy, is that a great one? All right, well that's one I have to. I have to preview that one because I don't think my kids have seen that yet. So I've got to walk, I've got to see, I've got to screen it and then we'll have a, a viewing. Always oh, screen uh, it first. Screen, yeah, I can't, I don't remember because I know the later ones have some rough scenes. I don't remember if the first one is as rough as the, the later ones. But thank you, Jessica. That that, that That's a great uh, highlighted reference there too. So maybe we can get, are we, is there going to be international cyber uh, games maybe nudged in the direction of Edinburgh in the near future?
3: <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> that would be great. I'm not sure. We'll have to wait and see.
0: cyber games uh, from the
3: castle
0: (laughs) so Kaylee what do you think did Jessica make our fantasy cybersecurity team
1: oh yeah I think she nailed it I I would say I knew within the first five minutes
3: (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you very much good to be part of the team
0: Jessica thank (laughs) you so much for joining us today if our listeners want to get in touch with you or connect with you what are some ways that, that they can do that
3: Absolutely. They can definitely email me at my last name, G-U-L-I-C-K-J, at Katzeye.com, K-A-T-Z-C-Y.com, or just head on over to the uscybergames.com and fill in one of the comment forms, and uh, I'll get that as well.
0: Thank you so much, Jessica. That brings us to the end of our show. But first, Kaylee, what did you learn today?
1: As someone who was born female, I totally related to being too nice. Um, so I'm definitely taking with me the idea of being more truthful than nice, especially when I'm called in as an expert on something.
0: And I'm going to talk about this concept of virtual leadership, which is really cool to hear um, Jessica explain that, how she sees that facet grow as she watches the, the athletes participate in, in, the, in, the, in the U.S. cyber games. The, um, this, uh, this idea of like when suddenly the switch turned off and everything was virtual, well, a lot of companies have been operating on that all the way through. Leadership in a virtual space doesn't look the same as leadership does on a football field or even in the military uh, where we sometimes look for it. And so it's really cool that there's, they're creating this third space where cyber leaders uh, can learn to Um, can learn to do the thing that they're going to need to do and practice when they get into the workforce. Absolutely. So for the entire No Password Required team, I'm Jack Clabby. Thank you for listening and we'll talk again soon.
2: Thank you for listening to the No Password Required podcast. You can find us on social media at No Password Pod. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the No Password Required podcast. And if you know someone who might like it, please share it with them. The show is produced by Cyber Florida and a special thank you goes out to our friends at Carlton Fields. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website, cyberflorida.org slash pod. All opinions expressed by the No Password Required podcast participants are their own and do not exclusively represent the views and opinions of Cyber Florida.